2: What was the real reason for Moses' greatness? In the last of his books, the last of the five books of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy, in the third to last verse of the book, the third to the last verse verse in the book, we're told what made Moses so great. It says in Deuteronomy 34.10, Deuteronomy 34.10, there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord knew face to face. What's his greatness? It was not all the plagues that Moses brought on Egypt that made him great. What's his greatness? It was not the splitting of the Red Sea that made Moses great. What's his greatness? It was not bringing water out of rocks in the middle of the desert to give the people drink. It was not his leading the Jewish people for 40 years through the desert. It, what made Moses great was his friendship with God. That's what made him great. What made Moses great was that he knew God on a face-to-face basis, a friend of God like that. Moses never would have called God the name. He never would have called him the force either. But he never would have called him the name or Hashem as it is in Hebrew, means the name which is how he's commonly referred to, God. Because Moses was friends with God, and friends do not call friends the name. So what the Jewish Orthodox people should strive for is the epitaph of Moses, which is here at the end of, the, of his books here, where he's spoken of as being a, such a friend to God that he speaks face-to-face with God. It was that face-to-face friendship that the Lord Jesus Christ invites us to have when he makes this invitation, come unto me. It's not a club exclusive for just Moses. You too, come unto me. Replace that life of working so hard, of trying so hard, of trying to impress your way into heaven. And then there's a second group. There's a second group that the Lord Jesus Christ invited to come unto Him. And He addressed this group in John seven thirty-seven. John seven thirty-seven. John seven thirty-seven. He's in the temple. He's on the day of the feast. He says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. This is a group who is invited to come to him, and they're called the thirsty the thirsty. The thirsty. What are the thirsty? The thirsty are the people who feel there's just something just deeply missing in life. It's a group that feels this deep longing for something more in life What they have drunk from what the world has to offer has left them with just a terrible feeling of emptiness, of void. There's a yearning inside. There's a desire for a true satisfaction in life. There's a, there's a want for real happiness. There's a hungering and a thirst for fulfillment in life. They're called the thirsty. They're called the thirsty. And it's to them that the Lord Jesus Christ invites, come unto me, come unto me. With the offer to fulfill that emptiness in the life, to give that true satisfaction, to give that fulfillment in life. It's the same offer that he made as Jehovah Jesus in Isaiah 55.1. Isaiah 55.1, he says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, he that hath no money, come ye, buy, eat, yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. That's the offer he made to the thirsty, to the bankrupt with no money. In life, it's just so easy to get on a treadmill of just making a living or doing what needs to be done next or not giving any thought to this deep void, this deep emptiness within. The feeling is, yeah, I guess I feel empty inside, but I'm just too busy to think about it. And like a horse that's running and running and running and you have to sometimes, you say to the horse, Ho, whoa, that's what he said in Isaiah 55:1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. It's like saying to the horse, whoa, stop the world, let me off, and consider this emptiness, this deep thirst of the soul, the sense of incompleteness is so much the opposite of what we just sung, complete in thee. That deep desire for this, in the soul for, where's love, where's friendship? Where's someone to lean on? And God says, you want all that? come to me for that, come to me. Trying to satisfy the soul's incompleteness outside of God is like being on a boat with no water in the ocean and then drinking ocean water to satisfy the thirst. You know what happens, it only makes you more thirsty because only God can satisfy the thirst. Nothing else, nothing less. And that's what David said in Psalm 63, one, Psalm 63, one. Oh God, Thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. That's the second group that the Lord Jesus Christ invited to come to him, the thirsty, when he says, come unto me. Then there's a third group. There's a third group that the Lord Jesus invited to come to him. He invited them in Luke chapter 18, verse 16, Luke 18, 16 where it says, but Jesus called them unto him and said, suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. It's the little children group that the Lord Jesus invited to come to him. You know, I just spent this last month working with the little children in the child evangelism booth in the Del Mar Fair, and it's been a privilege to work with the little children. They're so great because they're so uninhibited, and and I've gained a whole new appreciation for children and an understanding as to why the Lord Jesus Christ made this astounding statement, and it is astounding, as he said it in Matthew 18.3, Matthew 18.3, where he said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, every one of man's religions, doesn't matter which one it is, the man's religions were trying to reach God, reach up to heaven, they teach just the opposite of this statement. They all teach that you've gotta learn and study like an adult and memorize like an adult and observe complicated traditions like an adult to enter in heaven. Now, they all teach that you've gotta grow up and get away from being like a little child to enter into heaven. But the Lord Jesus Christ teaches the opposite. He says that to enter into heaven, you gotta make it about face and reverse and become like a little child. What is it about little children that he said, you gotta become like them? Well, first of all, they believe. They believe what they're told. When I told the little children that God made everything in the Child of Angels Booth in Del Mar Fair, when I told them that God made everything. You know, there was not one child that stood up and said, excuse me, can you please reconcile that with Darwin's theory of evolution? (laughs) Nobody said it. (laughs) I mean, that's just great. They believe. And children have tender consciences. They're tender consciences. I remember one child, when I asked him if he'd ever lied before, and he sunk his head down between his shoulders. It was so funny. he tried to run into a hole. And just gave me this guilty smile like he was caught. <laughs> and then I remember little Anna, little Anna, she's about four years old. I said, Anna, have you ever lied? She didn't say a word. She just went, <laughs> one time. I said, okay, we're going to lead you in the sinner's prayer for forgiveness for the one lie. (laughs) That's children. Children are so trusting. They don't pull their hand away from yours saying, you know, they reach out their hand to be taken. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ invited the group of children to come unto him, come to him. And that's the first statement that the Egyptians made to to Joseph when they said, thou hast saved our lives. And that illustrates how only by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ can a person have his life saved from despair now and from the horrors of hell later. So we see this about the Lord Jesus Christ saying, come unto me in all these three groups and then I can say to you, may I present to you a great savior, a great savior which also comes with a warning. He's a great savior, and the warning is in Hebrews 2.3, Hebrews 2.3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation or neglect so great savior? The danger in life is a danger of neglecting the Lord Jesus Christ. So now when the Egyptians told Joseph, thou hast saved our lives, it was clear to the Egyptians that they had taken time to consider exactly what Joseph had done for them. Would have been so much easier for the Egyptians just to have said, well, that was a close call. Sure, I'm glad we're over that. Almost got killed by the famine, and it's all behind us now, so let's forget it and move on with the future before us. But when the Egyptians said to Joseph, thou hast saved our lives, they were taking time to see what Joseph had done for them. And those Egyptians were wise, very wise, and considering what Joseph had done for them. And they had the wisdom that God has yearned for, for his people, when he said in Deuteronomy 32, 29, Deuteronomy 32, 29, oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. It's a wise thing to think about Latter end, what will happen after death? It's a wise thing for a person to think about what's gonna happen to me after I die. People fear death. It's healthy to fear death because death is the appointment time right after which comes the judgment. According to nine Hebrews 9.27, Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. And it's a catastrophe to go into judgment after death without having received God's love gift, the love gift of John 3.16, where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, have everlasting life. You know, just this last week at a restaurant and I asked the waitress, I said, "Uh, so um, do you know what's gonna happen to you after you die? And she said, well, I'm trying to be as good as I can trying to be as good as I can. At least she's thinking about it. Pray for her. That's why God yearned for his people during their lifetime to consider what's gonna happen to them after they die so that they'll run to God for his free love gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can say, like the Egyptians said, thou has saved our lives. They knew that they would have died had now Joseph saved them. You know what it's good for us to do sometimes? Sometimes it's good for us just to take a little walk over to the edge of the cliff to hell and look down there and to say, That was my hell. That was the place, that was my place down there. I would have been down there had not the Lord Jesus Christ saved me from my sins in hell. Then the Egyptians said to Joseph in verse 25. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. Now, on the surface, when you read that, it appears that they're saying like a condition, like Joseph, if you're gracious to us, then we'll be Pharaoh's servants, but there's no future tense here in the Hebrew, and what they're really saying is that when they said we will be Pharaoh's servants, what literally it says is that we find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we are Pharaoh's servants. In other words, they were telling Joseph that they had found grace in the eyes of Joseph. And that means they were saying that they found an abundance of grace, an abundance of grace as they looked into Joseph's eyes. And the Egyptians used this word grace because they were expressing how they didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve what Joseph did for them. Joseph didn't have to work so hard to gather up all that corn and to distribute it to them to save their lives, and they didn't deserve it. They knew they didn't deserve what Joseph did for them. That illustrates for us how the Lord Jesus Christ shows us grace. As a matter of fact, grace came, it says, grace came by the Lord Jesus Christ in John one fourteen. John one fourteen says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John 1.17 says, John 1.17, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. What the Lord Jesus did to make us enter heaven and to make us not be cast into hell, it shows a difference between grace and mercy. We deserved hell, and in his mercy, he did not cast us into hell. We did not deserve heaven, and in his grace, he made us enter heaven. We deserved hell, and mercy is to not receive what we, we we deserved. We didn't deserve heaven, and grace is to receive what we didn't deserve. Mercy, to not receive what we deserved. So Joseph has showed the Egyptians this abundance of grace, like the abundance of corn, where it says in in, in Genesis forty one forty nine Genesis forty one forty nine Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left off numbering, for it was without number. There was just such an abundance of the corn that it was available, it was there, and it illustrates how there's an abundance of grace that God has made to abound towards, like it says in Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There was so much corn collected that there was enough for everyone, everyone, even those who weren't a part of Egypt. They came, they received. It reminds me of the, the account of the, the little boy in Cardiff, Wales, and he was dying over in Glamorganshire. He was dying, and, but he had met the Savior. He had met the Lord in Sunday school, but his mother didn't know the Lord. She was not saved, and she was watching her son dying and she was growing more and more anxious, and she tried to pray a prayer, but she couldn't do it, so she just gave up trying. And when she knew that the final moments were coming, and and for her little boy, he was gonna die, she said, son, is it all right? And the little boy said, yes, mommy, it's all right, I'm saved, and in frustration, the mother said, you saved? How could God care about you and our home? And the little boy looked up to his mother and said, Jesus has plenty for everyone. Plenty for everyone. That's the grace of God. It's enough for everyone. Like the little boy said, Jesus has plenty for everyone because he offers this free gift of salvation to everyone. But not everyone has the free gift. Not everyone takes the free gift of salvation because not everyone has received the gift. His grace is abundant because it's offered as a gift of salvation to everyone, but not everyone has it because everyone has not decided to receive, as it says in Romans 1.16, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, the Jew first and also to the Greek. When it speaks about in Romans 1 the gospel of Christ, that's its universality. That's its abundance. That's how it's available to everyone. But in Romans 1.16, when it says salvation to everyone that believeth, that's its exclusivity. That's its restriction. The gospel of Christ is the power of God into salvation, but only to those who believe. God's salvation, it's called this great salvation as we saw in Hebrews 2:3, Hebrews 2 3, How should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? But this so great salvation is only received by those who choose to believe. And the tragedy is that most neglect this so great a salvation. Joseph had this abundance of food there for everyone, but it was only available through Joseph, which illustrates how this so great a salvation, it's enough for everyone, but only available through the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said in John 14, 6, John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Joseph reaches out his hand to every starving person in Egypt, But each starving person had to come to Joseph to receive this food. And just as the Lord Jesus Christ reaches out his hand to every sinner, but each sinner has gotta come to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Food offered to all by Joseph, but only received by those who came to Joseph. Salvation offered to all by the Lord Jesus Christ, but only received by those who come to him to receive the free gift. No one can really know this abundant grace. No one can really know what it is from a distance. You, they gotta, you gotta jump in, they gotta jump in. It's like it says in Psalm 34, eight, Psalm 34, eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. It's only after a person tastes that he can see that the Lord is good, like on the cross. The message of God is, You believe, you'll see. But the scoffers came and they said, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. And God says, no, it doesn't work that way. It's not see and believe, it's believe and see. Tasting is defined, it's defined in Psalm 34, 8 as trusting him. It means to trust him as savior from sin. And then comes the happiness. And that was the secret that the leopard knew. The leopard knew. In Mark 8-2, Mark 8-2, Mark 8-2 where it says, Behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See, thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now notice in verse 25 what they called Joseph. They said, thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord. My Lord, they called him. They called Joseph my Lord. That's significant because it shows how they acknowledge Joseph as supreme over Egypt. That's what Pharaoh did. Pharaoh made him supreme. In Genesis 41, 41, Genesis 41, 41, Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Genesis 41, 43, 41, 43, he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. It was not a secret that Joseph was ruler over all the land of Egypt, because after that, after he was made over all the land Then it says in Genesis 41, 25, 41, 25, Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. As a matter of fact, when anyone wanted to get food, it was to Joseph that they had to come. As it says in Genesis 42, 6, Genesis 42, 6, Joseph was the governor over the land. He it was that sold to all the people of the land. And when Jacob was told that Joseph was still alive, the way Jacob was told about Joseph in Genesis 45, 26, Genesis 45, 26, they told him, say, Joseph is yet alive, he's governor over all the land of Egypt. This illustrates to us how the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord or God Himself. As it says in John 8:58, 8, John 8.58, Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Or John 8:24, 8, John 8.24. And therefore I, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. Or just at his birth in Matthew 123. Matthew 123. Behold, a virgin shall conceive for it shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. How is God with us?
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God.